Hello and welcome to the Research Connection Podcast, the show that brings current expertise and cutting-edge research and connects it with users in the community. Okay, so should we get started? Sure. Sure. All right, welcome, both of you. Thank you. Thank you for having us here. Introduce yourselves. Start with our guests. All right, sure. (laughs) So my name is Joanna Ford, and I work with the Brandon School Division. For the past 10 years, I was working as the EAL specialist, which is English as an additional language specialist. But I am currently in a new role working with a new program. We are programming for young adult students, newcomer students, so 18 to 21-year-old newcomer youth. And it's a brand new program, so I jumped at the opportunity to teach in that program this year. Anything? Okay, so mm-hmm. my name is Burjiaman Netelioglu. I'm a professor here at Brandon University in the Faculty of Education, Department of Curriculum and Pedagogy. The topic of the podcast that focuses on our linguistically and culturally diverse EAL students is a topic that I like to both focus on in my teaching as well as my research. So very happy to be here. Oh, thank you. And I'm Michelle Lam. I'm the director of BU CARES. CARES is the Center for Aboriginal and Rural Education Studies here in the Faculty of Education. And I'm Jackie Kirk, and I am the chair of the Department of Leadership and Educational Administration and co-host of the podcast. So we should get started. Yeah, let's just dive right in. So a first question that I have for you is, what is the state or trends of diversity that you've been experiencing in K-12 schools here in Brandon or in the Westman area more broadly? Sure. So I've been working with the Brandon School Division since about 2006, and that is the year I moved to Brandon. And so I'll speak a little bit about that Mm -hmm. historic 12-year, 15-year period that I know of. Um, When I first started teaching, I was in an an itinerant position. And so I was working in a variety of schools, mostly with middle years. And at that time, in 2006, I think on the books, we had about 50 EAL students that were getting funding and were, you know, kind of qualified. 50 total in 50, yes. Okay. There were probably (laughs) more, but they weren't necessarily, they were beyond stage three. They, you know, they were kind of independent language learners. Okay. And Mm -hmm. so I was working with small pockets of students, but within the next five, six years between 2006 and I'd say 2011, we had an influx of about a thousand or more. We, I think we went from 150 (laughs) to about a hundred and, um, or 1,000 and, and 500, so 1,500. Wow. So it was a huge influx, and it was predominantly because of the maple leaf plant was recruiting international foreign workers, and they were bringing their families. Okay. So within that time, we went from having a couple of EAL teachers who were itinerant to opening EAL centers to having EAL programming in just about every school in the school division. So I'll speak a little bit about some of the trends that sure. we noticed. We... In those early years, we had a lot of predictability because we were in really close communication with Maple Leaf and they were providing us with numbers and helping us to predict, you know, mm-hmm. school-aged children that would mm-hmm. be coming along with their families. And so we knew that we were getting students from the, the countries they were re- recruiting from. So it was predominantly uh, Spanish-speaking countries like El Salvador, Honduras, Colombia, also a lot of families from China. There were a few um, families in the mix there from Ukraine and from Mauritius, but we always had a really good sense of who was coming, how many students, and about when to expect them. So until about 2012, those were the families that were coming, the languages that we were working with, and it was nice to have that sense of predictability. In the last while, we haven't seen as much recruitment from Maple Leaf, but something happened in 2016 that created a unique, another 
kind of unique experience in Brandon, mm-hmm. Westman Immigrant Settlement Services was received funding to open a resettlement assistance program. And that allowed us to welcome families from refugee backgrounds, which was a very different kind of family for Brandon because all of the other immigrants and newcomers that were arriving had kind of made a choice to make Brandon their new home. And they were able to prepare to live here and they knew what they were going to kind of what to expect. But with our refugee families, they often don't have a choice. And Brandon is a very small community compared to where many of them come from. And it's a really big culture shock for them. And a lot of those students are coming from very different experiences because they may have lived through war. They will have gaps in their education. And so they presented a different kind of need. And so our teachers needed to respond differently for for working with them. So that's a little bit about the diversity that we've mm-hmm. experienced in the last... That's a, a huge <laughs> shift in a short period of time, it too, is. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I would say we, we don't see those large, large influxes the way we did in 2009, 10, and 11. Mm-hmm. In those years, I think we were receiving about 350 new students every school year, and they were new to Brandon. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing, I think this school year, we still saw about 250, but of that 250, about 80 were kindergarten students that were often born here in Canada or in Brandon. Mm -hmm. So although they're still speaking another language in the home or they might be bilingual, they're not new to Brandon. So that's Mm -hmm. a different kind of student as well. Like they don't have the Mm -hmm. culture shock. They're not dealing with that difference in living in a new place. But we're still working with, you know, receiving about 250 new students that have EAL backgrounds. Interesting. And also, uh, this wasn't really the part of the research collaboration that we had, but I think another important population with respect to linguistic diversity and having other languages, home languages at home, or indigenous Mm -hmm. uh, student groups and, you know, Adirite student groups. So it's really important to, I know that sometimes it's a very heated debate whether to include them Mm -hmm. under the umbrella Mm -hmm. of EAL or not. And there are right good reasons for Mm -hmm. that um, important um, conversation to happen. But it's really important for us to notice and recognize that some of the issues and challenges that those uh, bilingual students are experiencing with respect to trying to preserve their indigenous languages Mm -hmm. and their home languages and that sometimes that sense of belonging that is not there is is something that we need to keep thinking about when we think about the diversity yes there's some some newness in that diversity but that diversity was always a little bit there Mm -hmm. from the beginning right When Joanna talks about the trends of what's happened over the last 13 years or whatever, are they similar across Canada, across Western Canada, across Manitoba? How does Brandon differ from other places? Mm -hmm. Do you know? I know a lot from my conversations with my grad students looking at different different places in Manitoba, some mm-hmm. of our rural communities. But diversity looks differently, right? Mm-hmm. When we look at our some of our communities, we see a huge Filipino group, for example. Mm-hmm. But there's one group, right? Diversity is considered of those EAL students who are considered Filipino, some of our indigenous students, but then there isn't that big diversity that happens in, for example, in Brandon School Divisions. Mm-hmm. Of course, compared to outside of Manitoba, mm-hmm. as somebody who's lived and worked uh, 
in Ontario, in Toronto, of course, the diversity is is very right. common, and, and it has been, been like that for, like that for time. much yeah. longer. Yeah. And when we look at some of the inner city schools in Toronto that I've had a chance to work with, like eighty five percent of our students were EAL or were linguistically diverse. So then the kinds of teaching and learning practices in those schools where the majority of that the term linguistic minority didn't apply anymore right. because mm-hmm. they were the majority in some of those schools, right? So so there's great difference in terms of what happens, but we still have some communities with very little. There was one student who moved to Brandon. We used to be in one community. It was the only mm-hmm. student who spoke mm-hmm. right. a language, language other than English at home, right? So right. we do still have yeah. those communities too in Manitoba. So yes, in some places it's, it's changing and it's not new anymore, but in some other rural communities, it is still very new. For the teachers who are teaching classes that mm-hmm. maybe 14 years ago used to be, mm-hmm. homogenous isn't the right word because you brought up a good point about indigenous populations and even between French and English, but how are teachers responding to these shifts and to these changes? Um, Teachers really feel the need and the urge to make some changes because I think Mm -hmm. that as educators, we really want to make sure that all our students feel like they're a part of the classroom. So that sense of belonging has always been important for us educators, Mm -hmm. no matter which students we thought. But when uh, when we had our EAL students in the classroom, that creating that sense of belonging uh, sometimes needed a different type of effort, right? And so like creating that trust is a day-to-day negotiation, but sometimes it starts with simple things like trying to get to know your students, their identities, their languages, and then bringing some of that information to the classroom, mm-hmm. right? Sharing it instead of conceptualizing them as students who lack English or mm-hmm. students who don't know the Canadian culture, conceptualizing them as emergent bilinguals, emergent plurilinguals, so that we also learn from who they are, what they bring into our classroom, sharing those multilingual texts or texts or videos or books or resources that reflect the diversity that we have within our classroom helps our EAL students. But our teachers also say that it also helps all our students, right? Because We're living in such a transcultural time that, you know, with globalization, with migration, there's always that high mobility and it's increasing everywhere around the world. And we see the effects of it here in Brandon as well. So then in the face of that, there's also big ethical questions that we're faced with both inside the classrooms as well as outside of the classrooms, right, that our students bring in sometimes to our classroom. Because we know that power dynamics are experienced differently sometimes, right, Mm -hmm. outside of the classroom. Our differences in terms of ethnic, linguistic, class differences, Mm -hmm. right? Those Because of those differences, unfortunately, there are issues of racism, there are issues of inequality, oppression, right? And we see some of that take place within our schools, not willingly most Mm -hmm. of the time. However, to shift those power dynamics are very important, Mm -hmm. right? They are big kind of issues. But then there are Really, teachers have a lot of agency and they have a lot of choices 
just choosing the kind of content that is relevant and that affirms who our students are and, you know, brings their languages into the classroom. Like if you're in a kindergarten classroom and you're reading a story or a fairy tale in English as well as in Mandarin, if you have a Mandarin speaker kid in your classroom, it really brings a different kind of dynamic to the classroom. Who they are becomes valued all of a sudden just by a single practice of reading that story and sharing it with others, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that our teachers have said, that even them attempting to say a couple of words in the languages of their students and welcoming them, or Mm -hmm. even in those early years, really influences them. They get a big smile and Mm -hmm. that trust and that sense of belonging is really developing every day. And it's it has to be negotiated every day. It's never a done deal. Mm-hmm. You can say as a teacher, as we all know here, that <laughs> yeah. yeah, today I've <laughs> I've created that sense of trust between me and my students. Mm-hmm. It's it's always ongoing. Um we can maybe talk a little bit about strategies too, like integrating language mm-hmm. objectives in addition to mm-hmm. curriculum content objectives is what was good. I think teachers uh, need to be really cognizant of being mm-hmm. very purposeful in their language instruction, right? And something that it, that is something that teachers maybe have to think differently about yeah. because they weren't used to doing that mm-hmm. before. And because our students are trying to learn so much all at once, they're learning content, they're learning language, they're learning culture, they're adapting to mm-hmm. you know all of these new things. We have to be so efficient. So helping mm-hmm. teachers learn how to do that has been a big, a big part of what we're trying to do to make it easier on them. How can you integrate a language and an uh, academic content objective mm-hmm. simultaneously? How can you assess those things simultaneously? How can you be really purposeful in that, but also being really uh, good at assessing language? Because we don't want to just take it for granted. Oh, they're learning language. Well, how do we know they're learning academic mm-hmm. language? We have to mm-hmm. be really and, careful. Yeah, to provide the right kind of services or support, mm-hmm. we need to do that initial assessment. And that's something in some of our smaller rural communities that initial assessment is still not there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because every division is working on theirs. But I think it's helpful that the provincial government is working on different forms of trying to support mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. assessment piece. And I think that's going to be great. And the fact that the curriculum document is mm-hmm. now a little closer to being public. Yes, <laughs> is is also very helpful. So there are some really good changes that are happening and mm-hmm. that are that well, are very positive and supportive. Locally, this has not been a long time either, right? Mm-hmm. Like 13, mm-hmm. 14 years isn't very long. That's in the grand scheme of things. It's yeah. not, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had to learn quick. <laughs> yeah. How are these changing demographics influencing teacher education programs? Like when I came here, uh, which was five years ago, mm-hmm. I know that the EAL course started being offered. And then I started collaborating with Joanna in her role as the Brandon School Division EAL specialist. Mm-hmm. And it was wonderful because our teacher candidates could, um, this provided opportunity for us to take our teacher candidates, whether they're in early years, middle years, or senior years, to actual classrooms and meet, work with, one-on-one, with EAL students. Um, so it was really, really beneficial for the teacher candidates because they got to put theory into practice Mm -hmm. and meet and understand that EAL students, even though we have that label for for that group, that they're so diverse, Mm -hmm. that sometimes labels are difficult because it assumes a certain type of identity or characteristics. Mm -hmm. But with EAL students, there's great diversity. 
the intersection of race, culture, identity, class, all of that it interfere and then the different abilities that mm-hmm. our students have. Is that course a required course for all teachers or do they opt This is that? an elective course. Okay. Those EAL courses at the mm-hmm. undergrad level mm-hmm. are often uh, elective courses across the province, mm-hmm. but there is uh, the hope for the, dif- the, the three universities mm-hmm. have requested informal for the moment conversations about the importance of having those mm-hmm. courses as mandatory courses right. because our students are teaching all students and, mm-hmm. and it will be helpful when they say it's very beneficial right. to take this course that introduces them mm-hmm. right to the idea of teaching EAL students. It's an introductory course, but hopefully they'll come back. Right. And just like based on what you said before, taking that course gives them skills that would help them with any learners who were struggling exactly. with language, right? right. Mm-hmm. Which would just make them stronger teachers. Yes, definitely. It gives them a repertoire definitely. of strategies that mm-hmm. are good for mm-hmm. all students. Thank you for listening to the Research Connection podcast. You can visit our website for links to everything that was mentioned in the episode. And for more Research Connection content at www.brandonu.ca slash bu-cares. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you can stay up to date with current research that impacts your community. Thank you.